Please turn to Revelation. Some of you may be thinking today, oh no, not Pastor Malcor again. We just had him last Sunday. Well, Dustin was under the weather this week, and uh, so here I am. Revelation chapter 1, in this book, after introductory remarks in the first eight verses, John shares many visions he received from the Lord. This is the first vision that I'm about to read to you now. Verses 9 through 16. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. We're going to be coming back to this passage momentarily. First, I want to begin by asking a question. Have you thought much about meeting the Lord? Meeting the Lord, namely Jesus Christ. Not just in your conversion experience, which you might remember a certain time and date. Yes, that's when I met the Lord uh, in that experience. Not in your spiritual prayer conversations that you would have every day with Him, meeting Him that way, meeting the Lord early in the morning or whatever. But I'm thinking more in terms of immediately after your death, after you die, when you meet the Lord. Carrie Breck has written these words, Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by. What will that be like? Have you given much thought to that? One moment you're alive on earth, the next moment, boom, you're meeting the Lord. One reason Christianity is interesting is that it's a religion not just of uh, fantastic, uh, interesting philosophies, nor uh, interesting historical facts, but it's uh, interesting because it has to do with meeting the Lord. It's more than a, the Bible's more than the book of moral guidelines, and that's it. It's preparing us to meet the Lord. But here's an interesting thing. We're focusing the next few moments upon our meeting the Lord. But first of all, the Lord meets with us. The Lord in His grace comes to you and to me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to keep that in mind. He comes to us right in the very middle of our lives, right where we are. 
And so he meets with us, but then he expects us to meet with him. But how are we going to meet with the holy, almighty God, creator of all things? Well, let's go back into the Old Testament briefly. What was it like when men met the Lord back in the time of the Old Testament? Well, we know that with Adam and Eve, no sooner did they sin that they sought to hide themselves from the Lord. They didn't want him to meet them. They didn't want to meet him. Abram, in Genesis chapter 17, when the Lord revealed himself to him, we read, he was overwhelmed and immediately fell face down in awe and adoration. Jacob, in Genesis 20, he was very afraid and said, how awesome is this place? Moses at the burning bush, he too felt an overwhelming dread and awe in God's presence. Isaiah in chapter 6 and verse 5, we read that as he came into contact with the Lord, a meeting with him, he said, woe is me, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He was knocked down, he, could, he didn't know what to say, what to do. The prophet Ezekiel, to him it was just the appearance of the likeness of his glory. In other words, a glimpse, not a direct view. And that was enough for, for Ezekiel to fall on his face. Daniel, we read he lost his strength, his face turned pale, and he fell to the ground trembling into a deep sleep. And then the prophet Habakkuk, seeing the splendor and brightness of God, we read that his body shook, his lips quivered, and his legs trembled. Those are some people that met the Lord in a very remarkable way with the Trinity, the triune God. In particular, those passages would reveal even the glory of the Son of God in particular. Now let's go into the New Testament. What about, what do we find there? Well, we use several examples. I picked out a few. Um, first of all, Luke chapter 2, Simeon took the little baby Jesus' in arms. Remember what he said? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Lord, I, I'm happy now. This is the promised Messiah, and I've seen him with my eyes, but I'm seeing more than just this baby. I'm seeing what is going to be accomplished through him. In Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we read that the Spirit was descending on Jesus like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What an event that was for those people who were around, and they heard that voice. And then, of course, there's the passage in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, which we read, Christ was calling his special disciples first. First there's Andrew, then Andrew went and got Peter, and then soon after that was James, his brother John, and the other eight would follow soon thereafter that. Uh, let's just pause for a moment on that first meeting, especially with those four men by the Sea of Galilee, who were fishermen. And here comes, out of the blue, here comes Jesus of Nazareth. They'd never heard him before, never met him. And now suddenly there he is. 
And as he talked to them, they were impressed with how he talked and, and what he said. We don't have everything recorded to what he said, but what an amazing moment that had to be when they met Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. Now, in particular, among those men and the other eight who soon would follow, we want to think of John. What was John known as? The beloved disciple. He was called that because he appears to have been the closest friend with Jesus during his three years of public ministry. He's the one with the other disciples who said in John 1.14, We have seen His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And later he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and a touch with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. Now, perhaps awestruck is too strong of a term to use with these men every time they met Jesus. But nevertheless, I think we can say there was a little bit of restrained awe, restrained respect. They were greatly impressed with meeting Jesus, who, remember, he first met them. Then we think of his post-resurrection appearances. Recorded in the Gospels, many people uh, saw Jesus after that. In Matthew 28, they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. That was the disciples. Mark chapter 16, verse 12, he appeared in another form to two of them. And that's probably a reference to the two men of Luke chapter 24, walking on the road of Emmaus. And all that time he spent talking to these men and having conversation with them, teaching them, finally eating with them. And then, of course, John himself records the time in the garden after the resurrection. When Mary did not recognize Jesus at first, she thought he was the gardener. And finally he had to say to her, Mary, that got her attention, meeting the resurrected Christ. And then, of course, there was Thomas. Thomas said, I don't, I don't believe he rose. What are you guys talking about? And the next thing he knew, Jesus was there in the upper room. So here I am, Thomas. I'm meeting with you. Here I am. Look at my nails, prints of my hands, my side. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, we read, He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Remarkable experience these men had meeting the resurrected Christ. Then we can also talk about the post-ascension appearances. Two particular ones stand out. One is Stephen in Acts chapter 7 where he was being stoned to death. And he looked up to heaven. He saw Jesus standing at the throne in heaven. And what did he cry out? Receive my spirit. And, of course, the, the great example of somebody meeting the Lord, or first of all, the Lord meeting him, was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. So here are some examples in the Old Testament, New Testament, of people who met the Lord 
in a remarkable way, and they realize this is not something normal. This is very unusual. This is something supernatural. This is something that God is revealing to us. But they had the privilege of meeting the Lord. Now I want to come back to Revelation 1. You notice I stopped reading at verse 16. I did that purposely. Because I want you to focus on the first part of verse 17. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. What a contrast with the beloved disciple in those three years of ministry on earth and even his seeing the resurrected Christ and the ascended Christ. In this vision, all he can do is fall down. What a contrast. And this happened when he was in the highest state of spiritual receptivity. Back in verse uh, 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. John was blessed in this way as no other person probably has ever been. And yet, despite all of that strength he was getting, spiritual strength, he fell down before the resurrected Christ and ascended Christ. I should also call to your attention what else is said in Revelation. I won't read the, uh, the verses, but I have several of them here. In Revelation chapter 5, the elders fell down and worshiped the Lord. Chapter 7, the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped. In chapter 19, we read that John is going to fall down again. And in chapter 22, he's going to fall down a third time in this book. That's what he experienced when he saw and met with the Lord. What caused him to do this? Well, more specifically, in the verses that we read a moment ago, we find that in verse number uh, 12, he turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. Who, who was saying this? And turning, he then sees seven golden lampstands. In the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe, golden sash, hairs on his head white, like wool, like snow, eyes like flame of fire, feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, voice like the roar of many waters. In the right hand, seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining full strength. No wonder he fell down. What would you see? think? How would you act if that happened to you in the middle of tonight? What else could you do except just be overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord? Now, since the vision and other visions are full of symbols in the book of Revelation, they are to be interpreted rather than imagined. Don't spend too much time trying to get a picture of it. If you're artistic, don't try to go home and try to draw this. That's not the point. The point is what is happening here. What is saying? What is being revealed to John? These verses create an impression of the whole person of Christ and not just this part and that part. To overanalyze the different elements runs into the danger of losing that total picture and effect which so struck John. 
Don't these experiences of John remind us of what we saw in the Old Testament in particular, not to mention the New Testament? Same kind of idea. Being overwhelmed with the, the holiness of the Lord. His power, His majesty, all of His attributes. How many of people use the name Jesus Christ today with that view of Him in mind? That He is the Lord and Creator of all things? Very few. We find His name used in swearing and cursing. They mock Him. Others kind of go to the other extreme and treat him as a, a good pal, a buddy. There to kind of help him if case he's needed. And of course, many simply ignore him. They don't give a thought to Jesus Christ. He's completely irrelevant to them. But on the final day of judgment, everyone... We'll meet him. Now, there's one more day before that. And I alluded to it earlier in the message. The day we die. What happens immediately after that? And we're talking about the uh, time, the intermediate state between the time we die physically and the time we are in heaven waiting for our final full glorification. But how many people throughout the world are ready for that event when they die? That reality. How about you? Including your children. Are you ready if you should die tonight or tomorrow or this week to meet the Lord? A little song came across my Attention some years ago, and I'll share some words from it. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is right there before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or will in awe I be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Well, God's Word gives us more than our own personal imaginations could ever conceive. Let me share some scriptures with you. We're not going to make all the references. But first of all, some verses for those of you who may not be believers in Christ. What happens when you die? Well, here's some verses. The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to shame and everlasting contempt. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It is a fearful thing 
to fall into the hands of the living God. You think about that. You're rejecting Christ. You haven't put your trust in Him. You're trusting yourself, whatever it might be. Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Not a very pleasant outlook. But that verse goes on and says, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you who are believers, pay attention to these verses. The psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And many of you know Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. And Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors. Pretty good promises, aren't they? Wonderful truths that believers can take to heart. You should take to heart if you're a believer and be encouraged by these. Yes, for the unbeliever, meeting the Lord will be a most unpleasant, terrifying experience. A man named Jonathan Edwards, who lived some centuries ago, preached a very famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he pictured the sinner like, the end of, like a spider at the end of a thread, hanging over the flames of hell. Edwards, as I understand it, gave that sermon in kind of a boring way, just sort of said it. But the Holy Spirit took his words and began a tremendous revival among those people in that area of New England. But what a terrifying thought to be hung over everlasting hell. But for believers, it will be a most wonderful experience when we meet the Lord. Think of many dying wishes of believers who maybe their last words are, I'm looking forward to going home. 
I want to be at home with the Lord. So meeting the Lord, if you're a believer, is not as terrifying as some of those things we looked at earlier in our passage. And that's why John says in 1 John 4, 17, we may have confidence in the day of judgment because we know that our sins have been laid upon our Savior Jesus. They are removed from Him, from, from us, by Him. And we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that when we, the moment we die, boom, we're with the Lord. Now, in conclusion, we return briefly to the, some other things right here in Revelation 1. After John fell down, as it were, uh, Jesus, in some way, uh, he touched his old friend and said, John, John, don't stand up. Stand up. You're okay. Fear not. My, how many times had John heard Jesus say that in his public ministry? I am the first and the last. In Revelation 22, we read, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. John had witnessed both the death and resurrection of Jesus. Believers believe in a living Lord. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive evermore, evermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. He has authority and power over the time of physical death and the time which immediately follows. This is the Lord each of us will meet on the day we die. But until that day, with Paul in Romans 8, we can rest in this wonderful truth, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be encouraged with those words as together we wait for the time, that special time, when we will meet the Lord. Join me in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious, wonderful truth that you have met with us in our lives and brought us to yourself through Jesus. We pray for any in this room who may not have had that experience, that these words, this worship service might serve by you to bring them to an understanding of the wonderful message of Jesus and his love for us. In his name we pray.